You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Okay, Gordon Damer, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. We've been talking a lot about the uh, Giants today. We've been talking a lot about the Jets today. So let's tackle both with our next guest. Daryl Slater covers both the Jets and Giants for NJ Advanced Media, the Star Ledger, NJ.com. And he is kind enough to give us a, a few minutes here on a Saturday. Daryl, thanks for popping on with us. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, so Daryl, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of Giant fans I talked to, a lot of people here at the station were saying last week against Washington, must-win game for the Giant. You can't start the season 0-2 again, and then they start the season 0-2 again. So this week it's the Falcons. So if last week was must-win, what is this week? <laughs> Better win or else the season will be circling the drain. I know that doesn't sound as uh, concise and clever, but um, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously going into that Washington game, the concern was Daniel Jones and that offensive line versus that defensive front of Washington. And, and yeah, the line had issues, of course, the biggest one being, you know, the injuries and in Nick Gates uh, going out for the season. Uh, but but all things considered, their offense played pretty well. I think mean, the surprising thing here through two games has been the Giants' defense, right? And And now – they have to go against Matt Ryan and an offense that has not produced, but they do have Matt Ryan, the Falcons. So the Falcons have been terrible. The Giants, you know, they can't lose this game on the day that Eli Manning's number is being retired. And just from the perspective of losing to a really bad team to fall to 0-3, especially if the Giants' defense doesn't get it together, then then you're looking at some major concerns for this team. Yeah, and it seems like so much of the focus, anytime you talk about the Giants, it's almost always exclusively offense, at least coming into the year, right? Jones, Barkley recovering from the injury, the offensive line, now the Galladay-Garrett stuff. Where's your level of concern with the defense? Do you think this is going to get something that they can get straightened out here in short order, or do you think that this is going to be um, an issue all season? I mean, it's pretty concerning so far, no doubt. I mean, the way they performed against Teddy Bridgewater and Taylor Heineke through two games, I mean, you right. would have expected better, for sure. No, I mean, especially, look, I mean, that collapse late against Washington is, is just un, un, inexcusable and almost unbelievable. Um, they, they have not had the injury issues that the offensive line has had. So, yeah, I mean, and James Bradbury in the secondary should be better, no doubt. Um, but I think you, you look at Patrick Graham and what he was able to do last year with an undermanned defense, and they overachieved. Uh, I think, you know, you take a little bit of a wait-and-see approach, he gets the benefit of the doubt here. I think a little bit of the, uh, this guy's a genius and one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL, I think that luster has come off a little bit, but certainly 15 more games to, to earn that reputation back, I guess, if it was one that he ever deserved. I think, you know, all along he needed to show more than he did last year. And um, there's still plenty of time left. They're still healthy. They still have a lot of talent. Um, and I think, you know, there's a possibility they could get it together, but there's no doubt that what they've shown so far is, is, is really, really quite concerning. Yeah, you know, the thing that jumps out to me is it just doesn't, and I don't know all the X's and O's clearly, but it just doesn't seem like they're very aggressive. You know, for all the impact players it seems like they have on defense, the amount of money they spent last offseason, James Bradbury coming off the year that he had last year, and then adding a Dory Jackson. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the defense is, is, is very aggressive. Is, is that a fair read on things? Yeah, sure. I mean, they haven't been able to get a pass rush, whether that's been uh, not blitzing enough or just not having good enough edge rushers. I think it's probably a little bit of both, and certainly the latter. They do not have very good edge rushers, um, and that's been a problem for quite a while. I did that you saw them play a bunch of soft coverage in Washington, and um, Terry McLaurin just tore him apart. He's one of the better receivers in the league, but let's be honest, James Bradbury rated out last year as one of the better cornerbacks in the league. This shouldn't be happening. And then Calvin Ridley this week for the Falcons, a very capable 
and, and legit receiver. And so that's another challenge for, for Bradbury in the secondary and um, for this defense to be able to get some stops in critical, um, critical spots. I mean, it's one thing to, um, you know, have a big play allowed here and there, but for them to wilt like they did down the stretch in, in Landover last week, um, it, it, you just cannot have that. I mean, it, the offense has such a small margin for error. Um, Heineke had way too much time to sit back there and throw. And so, so you, your offense, when it has such a small margin of error, obviously the defense has to pull its weight. It has not pulled its weight so far, um, whether that's scheme or personnel. Um, I think it's probably a little of both, but um, you're looking at a situation here where they need to get it together very, very quickly uh, because things are, are not going to get any easier after this week. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Daryl Slater here about the, the Jets and Giants. And um, Joe Judge, uh, it seemed like the first year, uh, he walked into a very difficult situation just kind of given the environment of a rookie head coach with no training camp. And that, you know, as, as things went along last year, it seemed like things were pointed in the right direction the way they played in the second half. Um, what's your read on, on, on his style? Because, you know, for someone who speaks in – uh, I, I, I don't know if the right word is an aggressive tone, but, you know, he talked about Galladay and the, the fight on the sidelines. He likes that competitiveness, and, and he, he seems like a guy, you know, the fighting Joe Judges. It doesn't seem like as a head coach, though, he's very aggressive. You, you look at after the turnover against Washington, almost settling for the three. I, I mentioned about the defense. It doesn't seem like his words kind of match up with the style of coach that he is. Is that fair? Certainly offensively, and certainly if you look at the way – they took some shots down the field to Darius Slayton, one that didn't come through a little bit long, and that ball went off Slayton's hand, so a little bit of blame there on both Jones and Slayton. But, yes, the, the, the drive after the Bradbury interception was, was ridiculous. I mean, they run the ball twice behind a line that had not shown consistently that it could block for Saquon Barkley all night. I mean, he had the one long run and did nothing outside of that. Um, and, then, and then they threw a short pass short of the sticks and um, settled for – settle for a field goal and the goal was to get Washington to burn their timeouts there so not only did 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 and they did they did burn a couple timeouts but the Giants didn't burn any clock they settled for three points ultimately didn't matter Washington needed the one timeout to go right back down the field drive it down their throats and win the game so uh so I, I you know you don't expect that if you know you're Joe Judge for your defense to wilt that badly for the second time in that fourth quarter so um I guess I kind of get it from that standpoint, but uh, a big picture wise for judge, I think a lot of, you know, I don't think the honeymoon is necessarily over. Uh, I think if they lose Sunday for sure, it will be. He skated on a lot of blame last year because the roster was bad because Dave Gettleman did such a terrible job building this roster and this line. Uh, and because um, he didn't call the plays. He doesn't call plays. He's a CEO head coach. So you can't say, Oh geez. I mean, you know, the offensive, that play right there, that's on Joe judge. I mean, big picture, Philosophy-wise, for sure, it is. He he rubber stamps what they're doing. You know, he, Jason Garrett is his guy. He could have fired Jason Garrett after last year, and he didn't. So, um, and Joe Judge has significant say in the personnel. So the fact that they did not address offensive guard significantly this offseason after cutting Kevin Zeiler, yeah, that does get back to Joe Judge. You know, he can't. Not that he even want. I'm sure he doesn't want to skate on blame. I'm sure he's happy to take it, and and he deserves some of it. So, uh, got to win Sunday, or I think if they lose it's honeymoon over because at that point you're looking at a guy who started last year, I believe one and one and seven and they, they rallied to finish six and 10 and they were only relevant because the division was so brutal. And then zero and three to start this year, it just, it, it would not be a good start for him for the second straight year. And it's really tough to overcome that. And let's be honest, they didn't overcome it last year. They did. They went six and 10. They didn't do anything. They didn't make the playoffs. So um, yeah, got to win Sunday. 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I've been saying on the show that if they don't win Sunday, all everybody's going to get blamed, right? It's going to be Judge, it's going to be Garrett, it's going to be uh, Gettleman for sure. Uh, and let's focus, I, legally in a sports talk radio sense, if you talk the Giants, you have to talk about Dave Gettleman. So the offensive line is in flux now with the injuries, and then you have the Kadarius-Tony situation, which even when the pick was made, i got to be honest, Daryl, it seemed like a strange pick for the New York Giants and at least so far, I'm not going to say he's a bust. It's two games. It's plenty of time. But it just doesn't seem like that pick. They have not certainly gotten anything back in terms of that pick, which was the 20th pick in the first round and the receiver where if there's a position that you kind of think, all right, maybe that position can kind of hit the ground running. That has not been the case for Kadarius Tony, who's been kind of hard to find on the field even when he's on it. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the line, and everyone knows what the, how poorly they've done there with building the line. I mean, and, and this offseason, the biggest yeah, they, they they dug their hole at, at tackle, right? They cast their lot with Andrew Thomas. We'll see what he does. They doubled down when they restructured Nate Solder, uh, and he's been terrible. Um, so th- those are problems that are not necessarily inescapable. They could have done some things to fix guard this offseason after cutting Zeitler. Instead, they said, oh, let's roll forward with Shane Lemieux, who was bad last year, and, you know, when he replaced Will Hernandez, who was also bad. So, uh, you know, those are your starters. And now they're going to back up, you know, Billy Price is a center, failed first-round pick. Um, and so they, they're just interior of their offensive lives a mess. It's going to make it hard to run the ball. Uh, in, in terms of, um, the, you know, the other stuff in terms of Tony – yeah, like, okay, so, like, set aside all the off-field stuff and the gun thing, which, you know, he wasn't arrested for if he legally possessed it. He, here's the deal with Tony. Like, he was not a polished receiver coming out of Florida. He didn't even play receiver before Florida. They used him as a gadget guy of Florida. You draft this guy, he looks like he's going to be a slot receiver, but you already have a pretty consistent slot receiver in Sterling Shepard. So he's a redundant piece if you want to use him as a slot receiver. Then you say, okay, you got to use him as a kind of a gadget guy. They have not done that, and he has not gone in the field. Honestly, for as much blame as Jerry Garrett deserves about a lot of other stuff, I don't blame him here. This kid is not ready to play. You know, he, he skipped the spring voluntary workouts. Okay, whatever. He, he got COVID, uh, so he was affected by that through our camp. He got a hamstring injury. Now he's got an ankle injury. He popped up on the injury report Thursday. Um, so this guy has barely – first of all, he's barely practiced. He's trying to learn how to play receiver, period, let alone at the NFL level as a pure polish receiver. And he has not gotten the practice time to do that. So they're not going to put a guy out there who's unprepared. And so some of it's been bad luck for his lack of preparation. I think some of it, you know, maybe falls on, on him. Some of it's just circumstance. Like what, what do you expect? You draft a guy who's a developmental player in a redundant spot in the slot at the 20th overall pick. Now we'll see down the road how this plays out. But remember, the Jets took Elijah Moore at 34. Will that be something that the Giants wind up regretting? Now, it's not like Moore has been – you know, Justin Jefferson all over right. again this year. But, but to your point, rookie receivers can contribute. You know, Jason Garrett talking about rookie receivers yesterday not being able to contribute. I mean, come on. No. We've <laughs> seen it. I mean, I wrote a whole story today talking about you know, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, all these guys who have come in and been significant. Darius Slayton, they had a fifth-round pick who was a significant contributor in 19. So, um, yeah, rookie receivers can contribute. But I think because of all that stuff, it's, with Tony, it's going to be hard to see him contributing this year. We're talking with Daryl Slater here at 98.7 FM ESPN New York. All right, just to jump to the Jets for a little bit, uh, you had an amazing stat uh, that the Jets have not won a game in September since Sam Darnold's first start. I mean, that is just an indictment of the entire organization. And it, I, I got to be honest, anything can happen any given Sunday. It's coming harder and harder to find a September one this year. I mean, they only got two chances left. And, and for a year where you thought, hey, rookie coach, 
rookie quarterback, yeah, there's going to be a learning curve. I don't know that there was any expectation in terms of what a win total would look like. At least so far through two games, Daryl, it has not looked good uh, for the Jets. They've lost 11 straight games in September. Like that, that's, that's so incredible. crazy. I mean, the, the win you're talking about was 18, 2018, Monday night, week one. They go to Detroit, and they just whack the Lions. In the locker room every, afterwards, everyone's crowing about, like, yeah, I went back and looked at the story the other day, Leonard Williams of all people, you know, laughing about the same old Jets thing. <laughs> Nothing yeah. has gone right for them since then, basically. So, yes, Denver on Sunday, on the road for Zach Wilson against a really good defensive front, behind a line that has struggled to protect him, was better last week, but was a mess in Carolina in week one. Um, no Mackay Becton, if he's even a good player anyway. Um, he's got to be able to stay healthy. Will, the thing with Wilson, and this is going to continue to bite him, especially against good defenses, and you saw it last week, especially against good defensive coaches. Bill Belichick did not need to throw a lot of complex stuff at Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson was still back there trying to play hero ball and make the flashy throws that he could make against you know teams like Boise State and Coastal Carolina last year, and he could get away with that. He needs to, and Robert Sala said it, he needs to adjust his mentality in the NFL to embracing a more boring brand of football because in the NFL, that's what wins. You know, if you, I talked to Trent Dilfer about this leading into that week two Jets game, and he said, I can show you like thousands of throws, a four-yard throw, a six-yard checkdown that the best quarterbacks ever have made. Those will never make the highlights, but those are, that's what makes those guys really good, and Zach Wilson has to embrace that and quit playing hero ball. And so we'll see how quickly he can do that because a lot of his success this year will depend on his ability to just just avoid doing what so many of these other Jets quarterbacks have done, Sanchez, Geno Smith, Sam Darnold. Avoid mental screw-ups that, that result in you know terrible throws. So it's easier said than done. I get it, but uh, it's a huge hurdle for him. We're talking with Daryl Slater here about uh, the Jets and Giants, 98.7 FM. You know, anytime we talk about the Giants, we talk about Gettleman, the amount of resources that he has used to try to fix the offensive line. Joe Douglas hasn't been here that long. He hasn't used that many resources, but their line, it looks like, is still an absolute mess. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, like last year, it was his first offseason because he was hired after the draft in 19 because they stupidly waited too long to fire Mike McCagnin, but... Uh, they go and he, he gives big money. This is like one of the the Connor McGovern signing is one of the like the low key terrible signings in the NFL last year. Um, Connor McGovern has been a disaster at center. The Jets have had no consistency at center since they they cut Nick Mangold. And yeah, they should have cut Nick. His career was basically over at that point. But they haven't been able to replace him. That's so hard for a rookie quarterback when you have uh, so much inconsistency at center uh, and, and just a bad center in McGovern and Greg Van Roten, the right guard. Been bad too. They signed him last year as well, uh, a lower pro, lower money contract than what McGovern got. You know, and now they're, you know, they had back then obviously last year they drafted him. He showed potential, but the weight's a concern because now he's got a knee injury that he's trying to come back from. And when you've got 360 pounds on that knee, not that I can speak from experience, but <laughs> like I imagine that's hard to to like to recover from a knee injury when you got that much weight on you. So Beckton's always going to be a blessing and a curse with that part of it. So. Um, yeah, the line has been a problem. And Joe Douglas is even his 20, his 2021, uh, rather his, his 2020 draft, I should say, has not really produced much. I mean, they had nine picks and only one of them played in that game on Sunday, Bryce Hall, the fifth round corner. So they've missed, they pretty much missed on Denzel Mims. I think that's clear. 
Becton is hurt. Jabari Zuniga, the, you know, I, I venture to guess the casual person listening to the show has never even heard of Jabari Zuniga. They drafted him <laughs> in like the third or I think the third or fourth round. So, right. uh, yeah, it's not the 2020 draft does not look good. It's it's still early, but yeah, not great. No, especially when your second round pick is not even dressing for a team that's, you know, down receivers week one, no crowd or yeah. week two. And, and how would you explain that situation? Because fans look at Mims and, and you look at, you know, you look at highlights, you look at his, his, his when he got drafted, man, this guy's going to just be a monster. And it's not, it's not turned out that way. And for a guy who was drafted by this GM, like this isn't like the previous regime type of stuff. I mean, he was just drafted a year ago. For him not to be able to get on the field for this team that is going to struggle to score points, I, I mean, that's a huge red flag, no? A couple things with that. I mean, Mims can basically only do one thing right now, which is run a deep route. He can't play special teams, which, okay, like you're not expecting your second-round receiver to need to play special teams to get on the field. But he was drafted to Adam Gase's offense, remember, right? So, like, now they're running this Michael Floor offense, and clearly the new coaching staff, which – they decide who plays as they should is not a fan of this guy. And uh, he he's too one dimensional. They already have Corey Davis on the outside. And, and the thing with Crowder, like, yeah, Crowder was out, but he plays in the slot and Elijah Moore is the replacement there. And, and Mims doesn't play in the slot anyway. So there's not much Crowder's absence doesn't really affect Mims, but, but yeah, you would think that being a receiver down would bump up the lower guys in the depth chart and it did, but even still, you, you know, to hear Robert Sell after that game to say that Mims needs to do more to get ahead of Keelan Cole and Jeff Smith, I mean, my gosh. Right. Like, yeah. That's I not mean, good. It makes you think about Steve, Stephen Hill all over again, right? A bad second-round receiver. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Mims is not a well-rounded player, and I don't know how is he going to get to – he's not going to become a special teams guy all of a sudden. How is he going to become more well-rounded to get on the field? You really have to wonder. Daryl, thanks for a couple of minutes. We went a little bit long, but uh, great stuff as always. Thanks for giving us a few minutes. No problem. Anytime. You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN.